0: Welcome to the Confessions of a Recovering Landlord podcast. I'm your host, Jan Gibbons, and I'm joined by Bob Gibbons, tenant rep extraordinaire and even better husband.
1: Oh, you didn't read it like <laughs> it was written. Careful! <laughs> <laughs> I had written down "husband (laughs) mediocre," like the French way of saying mediocre, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) you—that's not how I feel. You spared me. (laughs) Your office
0: building may be growing, and you don't even know it. Is this going to be a horror show today? It could be. How how is that even possible? Today's episode takes a deep dive into rentable square footage and usable square footage. What's the diff? Why should you care? building grow? Sounds ridiculous. Explain it to me.
1: Well, it's obviously not physically growing, of course, but the whole thing is about remeasurement. So an example from when I was a landlord, I worked for a company that was an investor in high-rise office buildings. And anytime we would would look at buying a building, we would have the entire building remeasured. And it only costs maybe seven and a half cents a square foot to have an entire building remeasured. And what we found was that since the building had been built, the technology for computer-aided design, CAD, had improved. And as a result, the measurement resulted in a larger square footage in most buildings than what had previously been uh, thought.
0: So you bought a. 10-square-foot building and started charging rent in 12 square feet.
1: Well, we remeasured it, and it turned out to be higher. Like I said. (laughs) Well, the cool thing was, at the peak, we owned maybe 80 office buildings around the country. And by remeasuring all those buildings at 7.5 cents a square foot, the total square footage that we added to the entire portfolio was over 200,000 square feet.
0: So this was done when a lease would renew. You didn't go. Well, and-
1: you're you're getting ahead of ourselves. Save that for another well, no, discussion. I'm curious. Well, you'll, I'll answer you. I'm just saying, hold your horses. We're just talking about actually remeasuring. So the whole point of this was that the company remeasured those buildings they were buying. And as a result, ended up with 200,000 square feet more than they, quote, bought. And that was like buying a whole building at seven and a half cents a square foot.
0: Okay. So who decides how to measure? The said building.
1: Well, yeah, and that's a good question. I mean, who decides if it's going to be remeasured is obviously the owner of the building, but who decides the standards by which it gets remeasured or measured in the first place is an organization called BOMA, Building Owners and Managers Association. So that association has created the uh, the standards for uniformly measuring buildings. Uh, so that you can compare one building against the other with greater accuracy.
0: Okay, so BOMA is statewide, nationwide, worldwide? International. Okay.
1: So BOMA is an an, an international organization, and they have chapters throughout the country. I used to be on the board of BOMA when we lived in Austin. And uh, so anyway, I'm not a member of that anymore. But bottom line is that um, landlords are not required to comply with BOMA standards because there's no enforcement, they can, they can agree to use whatever form of measurement they want. But, um, you know, if they're going to use a standard form that people can rely on and have confidence in, then they're going to use BOMA because there's no other standard that I know of. Now, an example of why a landlord would not stick with the BOMA standard would be if something turns out to be a little bit too off um, what people would consider to be normal. Normal. So, for example, again, back when I was with my last company, one of the buildings we had in Dallas was up on the North Dallas Tollway, far north. And after we did the remeasurement, we realized that the, quote, add-on factor, which is, you know, the difference between usable and rentable square footage, was way too high. It was over 25% at a time when the standard was about 15%. So we didn't feel like we could realistically market the building using a 25, 26% add-on factor. So we arbitrarily said, "Now nah, we're going to assume it's going to be 15%, even though we're not going to be able to charge as much because we're not going to pass through as much square footage as we otherwise would have. We felt like we couldn't do any more than that, or we just wouldn't be able to to really get people to agree to to lease in our building.
0: Okay. Back up just a second. You used two terms, rentable square footage and usable square footage. Definitions, please.
1: Well, in the simplest terms, usable is basically the space that a tenant gets to use exclusively. Nobody else is going to be in there. So if you walk from in an office building, you walk from the common corridor on a floor, let's say you're on the eighth floor and you walk from the elevator lobby to the common corridor and then walk through the door into somebody's space. As soon as you walk through that door, you are now in that tenant's space that they get to use exclusively, and therefore it's considered uh, usable space. That's where they can actually put their desks, files, conference rooms, employees. Common space, however, is space that is used by all tenants. So the aforesaid corridor, uh, elevator lobby, the restrooms.
0: Break room, Break room, cafeteria. all that kind of stuff.
1: So all that common space is uh, considered something that's used by all the tenants. And so if you um, add the tenant's share of the common space to the usable space, those two things combined create the rentable space.
0: Which is what they charge the rent on, is the RSF, okay. That's right. So if a tenant takes a tape measure and physically goes room to room and measures each of them, that'll add up to the usable square footage.
1: If it were only so easy. Um, <laughs> I wish it was. Part of the It's pro- real
0: estate. It can't be. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Part of the reason is because um, the BOMA measurement standards have you measuring to the center point of the demising wall, demising wall simply being the wall that separates one tenant from an- the other. So if you have to measure to the center point of the wall, you obviously can't get a tape measure to that center point. Uh, and even to complicate things further, if it's an exterior wall, meaning the wall on one side goes to the outside of the building, then you actually measure to the outside uh, surface of that wall instead of the center point. And, uh, and then there's there's a lot of other nuances that I'm not going to go into here, but bottom line, there is no way to take a tape measure and get to the exact same number that an architect will get to using CAD. You can get um,
0: into the neighborhood just not You can get exact. in the neighborhood. Yeah. So
1: okay. I mean if, if somebody goes and does that measurement and they come up and they've added the common area. Gotta remember, if they're just doing it on usable, that's one thing. But if they're comparing the landlord's estimate of usable to what they came up with their usable and the difference is like five percent or six percent, whatever, no big deal. But if that difference is more than 10% well, now you might want to do a little more investigation, get an architect involved, something like that, so that you can get um, get some greater confidence in the number.
0: Okay, so flush out that common area thing a bit more. I know you talked about the restroom and the break room, but I mean, get specific. What all is included in that?
1: Well, and and I'll I'll mention several things, but again, it's things that are shared by all tenants. So all tenants must have access these things or or use of these things for it to be considered common areas. So things like the restrooms, the lobbies, the corridors, all those things make a lot of sense. Uh, But there are things that the tenants can't get to that also are included, things like the electrical room, the air conditioning mechanical room, uh, the telecommunications closet, the janitor's closet. They don't have a key that will get them into that space, but it's still considered common area because the janitor that serves all the tenants is using that janitor's closet. The HVAC room that supplies air to the entire building is being used in common by everybody.
0: Okay, so in an effort to be more competitive as uh, landlords need to get, I've seen a lot of amenities in buildings like fitness centers, conference rooms, tenant lounges, bars. I mean, there's a lot of stuff they're trying to add to make their building more desirable. Is that all considered common area as well?
1: Possibly, but not. Always. There's not a standard on that necessarily. The one thing I can say is that, you know, because landlords are having to get very creative with their amenities package to be competitive in the market, they're adding all kinds of things. You mentioned a lot of them, fitness centers, etc. But they're also they're also adding things like rooftop terraces and tenant lounges, I'm sorry, bicycle storage, even wine lockers of all things. So they're having to get a lot more competitive. So to answer your question about, you know, is that considered common? Is, and really the, the question is, does that end up getting included in the rentable square footage? Because obviously, as we discussed, if you add your share of the common area to the usable, that creates your rentable. So that could be included. And where that gets included is, let's say there's a, a, um, a tenant lounge and everybody has access to that tenant lounge for free. Then realistically, yeah, that probably should be included in the common area. If there is a uh, bicycle storage, same thing, but if there's a fitness center and the fitness center is not free to everybody, you actually have to pay to use it, now it's no longer common because not everybody's gonna pay to use it. So if it's free to everybody, sure, that could be considered part of the common area.
0: Is there ever an instance like where rentable and usable square footage would be the same number?
1: Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, typically, that's going to be found in a single tenant building. So if you have a, um, let's say a flex building that's 20,000 square feet, and you're the only tenant in that building, well, there are by definition, then no common areas, right? Or you could argue that you have the usable square footage, plus you get 100% of the common area, therefore, the rentable and the usable are the same thing, because you're using all of those yourself, and nobody else has any use of it. So that. Could be the case if you have a high rise office building that's multi tenant, no, because there's always going to be common area. As soon as you have more than one tenant, it's then going to be common area, and therefore uh, those two numbers are not going to be the same.
0: So, would it be accurate to say that, say, 5,000 square feet in a single tenant building is better than 5,000 square feet in a multi tenant building because it doesn't necessarily have the common area factor?
1: Possibly, but not necessarily. Um, people that lease single-tenant buildings and flex buildings love to say, hey, you're saving a lot of money because there's no add-on factor here. Well, that's true. However, there's still things that would be considered common area if it was a multi-tenant building. You still have a janitor closet in many cases. You still have restrooms. You still have an air conditioning um, mechanical room. So there's still things that are out there that in a multi-tenant building would be considered common area of which you pay your share, but in a com- in a single tenant building, you're using all of that a hundred percent. So the question would really be, um, how efficiently is the space used? So in a single tenant building, if you add up those rooms, is it less than the percentage add-on that it would be in a multi-tenant building? Um, you know, you have to look at that Space by space, but realistically, the decision of you know, like a flex building versus an office building, is typically not about how much is the add-on factor. It's usually more a function of you know how are you going to use the space, what location is it that you need to be in, what kind of an image are you trying to um, to have for your company. So it's it's usually not about square footage manage uh, measurement and how it's allocated.
0: So more like, does this building make me look fat? <laughs> or that, <that's> not <laughs> okay.
1: Does this building make my butt look fat? <laughs> Never thought about that one.
0: Okay. So once a landlord has actually gone out and remeasured a building, can they just change the square footage on the lease unilaterally? We kind of referenced that earlier.
1: Uh, possibly. It depends on how the lease is written. So some leases are written with the BOMA standard uh, stated in the, the lease, And it gives therefore either party in some cases, the ability to then go challenge that. And, you know, you could be two or three years into the lease and somebody says, Hey, I don't know that this is really measured according to that standard. So they hire an architect and go out and have it remeasured. And then they argue, Hey, I want to, I want a refund or I want to be able to charge you more if the number is different. Um, that doesn't happen much, but, um, Sometimes it will. Most of the time, if a landlord uh, has remeasured a building and they realize that it—well, let me back up a little bit. If they remeasure the building and the building is smaller than what they thought, you'll never hear about it. Right? They're not going to say a word. <laughs> but if it's bigger than what they thought, then of course they're going to try and capture that additional square footage and therefore the additional value that comes with that. You know, when I was in my last company and we we did this. We would not go to tenants in the middle of their lease term and say, hey, we thought your space was 10,000 square feet. It's actually going to be 11,000. You got to start paying an extra thousand square feet worth of rent. We never did that. What we would do is we would wait until that tenant needed to expand or renew their lease, extend their lease. And that's when we would try Just to get the square slip Slipping in when
0: they're not looking.
1: No, no, no. They're looking. We fully disclosed it. There was never any uh, chicanery or, or um, deception. We totally... Um, showed it to them. And and sometimes we had clients that would say, tenants that would say, well, it's the same amount of space. I'm not going to pay more for that. I'm going to pay the sa- based on the same square footage. And so in that case, what we would often do is we would say, all right, so let's calculate the rent as if it were 10,000 square feet, but we're going to go ahead and document in the lease that it's actually 11,000 square feet. So we changed the square footage, even though it makes the square foot per Yeah, the price per square foot, the rent per square foot looked less. We go ahead and do that because then that sets it up for the next time.
0: Okay, so how does a tenant protect
1: themselves from this? Well, there's a few ways. Uh, The most important way is to hire a tenant rep to help them through this situation. Insert Riata Commercial Realty ad here. (laughs) (laughs) But you got to write the lease in the correct way. And so the first thing I would say is, don't have a Boma standard in the lease, and don't even give either party the ability to remeasure the space in the middle of the lease term. You instead stipulate what the parties agree the square footage is going to be. So the bottom line is, you need to get comfortable with the size of the space before you sign the lease. Don't go into the lease thinking, "Hey, we'll just remeasure it later." Uh, in fact, this becomes a problem on new buildings. So sometimes, if you're on a new leasing space in a new building that hasn't been built out before, and let's say it's a hundred thousand square foot building, you're going to go in and take thirty-two thousand square feet. You think, well, that size is subject to change based on the final measurement of the space. So you think you're you're going to lease thirty-two thousand square feet, but it actually turns out to be thirty-two seven hundred. And I've actually seen this happen with small tenants where they thought they were leasing, let's say, 1,500, 2,000 square feet. It actually turns out to be 2,500 square feet. Well, that doesn't seem like a huge thing, but if you thought you were leasing 2,000 square feet and you end up at 2,500, well, that's a whole – I mean, that's 25% more space, which means 25% more rent. So bottom line is stipulate the rent – I mean, the the square footage and therefore the rent – and don't sign a lease that gives anybody the right to – change the square footage in the middle of the term. And if you do, if the if the landlord insists that you have to have the they have to have the ability to remeasure and change the square footage, then put a clause in there that says, fine, you can remeasure it. You can call it any square footage you want in the world. It's not going to change the economics of my deal. You can't change the rental rate. You can't change my operating expense share, anything like that.
0: So, when a tenant is actually evaluating buildings, all the places they might place their business, should they be more concerned with rentable square footage or usable square footage?
1: Good question. I would say once again, your favorite answer is it depends. <laughs> and it depends on what's most important to them. So you know if they're um, if they're really concerned about amenities, image, or cost, you know they can't necessarily look at one of those two things. So I mean, we're we're going to evaluate the the proposals for our clients both on rentable square footage and usable square footage. So we're we're going to tell them, you know, this building's thirty dollars a square foot, and that building's thirty one, and the next building is thirty two, and the next one's twenty nine, and we're going to convert that to a cost per usable square foot as well. And sometimes that flips things up because if one building has a, well, I'll give you an example. So we have three options, three buildings that each have ten thousand square feet the one that has the highest rentable factor, you know, the add-on factor, which is the, you know, if you have 10,000 square feet of usable and your add-on factor is 15%, you're actually at least in 10,000, uh, I'm sorry, 11,150 square feet, or I'm not sure I did my math there, right? Uh, 11,500 square feet. Well, if the- 15% times 10,000. Exactly, carry the nine. <laughs> <laughs> but the bottom line is that, the higher the add-on factor the more the cost per usable square feet is going to be affected and so we will look at the cost per usable square feet which is may tell you which is the most expensive for the space you actually get to use however if that building that has the highest add-on factor also has the amenities that you want with a tenant lounge and everything else well that may be fine you know you may be willing to uh, to pay for that it's if you have identical buildings basically with identical um and i say identical equally classed buildings they're the right class the right location the right amenity package you're indifferent to the two buildings as to which one you end up in if in one case the cost per square foot rentable or usable and especially usable is lower that's the one that's your least cost option for the image and the amenities that you've chosen Uh, So, anyway, lowest cost per usable square foot is great, but it may not actually be the best metric on which to base a decision for a tenant.
0: Got to weigh all the options.
1: Always got to weigh the options and compare the buildings. I'll tell you this, I'm hard-pressed to remember a single situation in the last 36 years of my career where the lowest cost per square foot was the decision point or the metric that actually got the deal. Because no two buildings are the same. There's always something, the access, the, the, the image, the amenities, the, the ownership. I mean, there's all kinds of things Location. that are different. And, uh, and so you're not going to be able to get um, cost per square foot as being the final decision point.
0: We'd like to thank our listeners for joining us on the Confessions of a Recovering Landlord podcast at Riata Commercial Realty. We exclusively serve companies that lease or purchase office space.
1: We never represent them dang landlords.
0: You can find (laughs) us at TexasTenantRep.com or give us a call, 972-667-0028.
1: Hey, you know what? That is TexasTenantRep, Paul.com, and you can call us at 972-667-0028. See you next time. Oh, thank you.